to Nats Talk on the Go, the longest-running Washington Nationals podcast going today. This podcast is proudly brought to you by our supporters club, Nats Talk on the Go, Special Ops. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Drugan and Craig McHenry. Joe and Craig, let's do it. Well, hey, Craig, we have a pretty uh, special episode of Nats Talk on the Go this week, don't we? Uh, I am super excited about it. We are professionals. And as professionals, that means that we have a very special guest on the show. Uh, we'll be airing that a little bit later. We spoke with uh, Jake Russell of the Washington Post, who just wrote the book, 100 Things Nationals Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's out in stores now, uh, and you, you can pick it up. But uh, you could also pick it up from Jake's website. We'll talk to him about that a little bit uh, during the interview. But we really enjoyed the conversation, and when, uh, we think you guys will enjoy it, too. Yeah, the advanced copy that I got was fantastic. That's true. We, we are big deals? Yeah, a little bit. I, I, the fact that I can't even try to say that confidently probably tells me that we're not. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. If, if you can't make fun of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. But it was a really good talk, and it was good to talk to him. We'll, we'll definitely be having him on again in the future. Um, so anything else before we get rocking on uh, this episode of the non-interview portion of the podcast? You know, it's just really nice to have baseball back. Yeah, it is like, good to have baseball back, isn't it? It's so good that yesterday was awful. Once again, recording on a Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, Monday was an off day. Monday's off day was terrible. Yeah. I, you get used to it. And I tweeted with a few people about it, actually. Like, yesterday, it was like, you know, I I got home from work late and uh, actually at a fairly normal time yesterday, and of course, on the game, the day that there was no game. And then I was I was sitting there and I was like, this is really annoying that I do not have a game to watch right now. Now, I used it to try to catch up on some television programs, Ooh. but I want, so, uh, okay, we're going to do that little piece here. Why not? Uh, I, ta- I watched uh, three weeks ago's episode of The Americans, because I'm three weeks behind, because I don't have time to watch television, and I will tell you, I love that show, but God damn it, it's so depressing. Yeah, I... Americans is one of those ones that I really enjoy. Yeah. But like sometimes I just can't. So every single season since I've started watching that show, I watch the first 3 or 4 episodes and then I do not watch it for like until baseball season's over because I don't a there's baseball on basically every night and b I cannot binge watch that show because after I watch an episode I need to lay in a pile of happy puppies. Oh gosh, I love happy puppies. Yeah. It um and so I actually, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this show. And then I, the only reason I could justify it is because the show that also had just come, started was Veep. I was like, okay, so watch that. Then I'll watch Veep and I'll laugh. And yeah, I new did. showrunner here. Uh, it's great. Yeah. So I, I had to had to lift myself up. That's good. So um, that's, yeah. that's my show. So my talk. It's weird. My only two shows right now are news-y <laughs> shows. My only two shows are news. Are newsy and, shows? Like, uh, Last Week Tonight. And oh, it's so good. Whatever Samantha Bee's show is. Yeah, Full Frontal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there are, there's basically one show a week that I do not miss. Sometimes I'm six days behind, but I stay up with it, and it's Last Week Tonight. It's so good. Yeah. It's so un, unreasonably good. Uh, also, and the show of baseball. Oh, yeah, baseball. And... 
Playoff hockey. Oh, yeah, playoff hockey's Go really Caps. good. There have been some really good hockey games. Go Caps! Go Caps. Uh, all right, so we... I'm going to switch the order up, even though we just decided on... You know what? Order. It's fine. We're flying by the seat of our pants, and it's fun. It's happening. Uh, we promise the interview later is good. But uh, the 16-inning game that happened this past weekend... Yes! It was... It had to be among the most entertaining games of baseball I've ever seen in my life. Like, just when when Oliver Perez bunted and then chaos ensued, I sat at my kitchen table and laughed for 60 seconds straight. Yeah. It was the most bizarre thing that ever happened. I mean, not really, but it was pretty bizarre. Uh, couple that with the Harper almost expected <laughs> go-ahead... Or game tying home run. Um, that was that game. It was long, and there were times where I lost focus. But it was such a superiorly and supremely entertaining baseball game. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and say everyone should go to the natsblog.com and read Andrew Flax's eight crazy events. Um, it's a perfect summation of everything that happened. I was reading the list, and I got to, like, four, and I was like, oh, my God, that was so crazy. Yeah. Then you read number three, and you're like, oh, my God, no, this was crazier. And I'm like, there's two more after this? No way. Well, what's the, the what's is, crazier than this? And then you get to two, and you're like, this is crazier <laughs> than three. Yeah. And the, my favorite thing about it is, like, you, you get to number three, and I'm going to do a spoiler here, but you get to number three, and it's the game-winning thing that happened. Yeah. And the game-winning thing is number three. <laughs> And that's like, yeah, that game was awesome. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was so, so fun. Good. And you could tell the players were just having a blast yeah. with it. Yeah, the, I got some of my best photos and gifts from that game that I've gotten all year and maybe in back into last year. I mean, it was really, it was, it was so entertaining to watch, you know, Harper and, and Papelbon interact jovially and just... A bunch of grown men playing game, making playing a game, making millions of dollars, like sitting with rally caps and Papelbon in a backwards base coach's hat and a pair of sunglasses. Like it's just like this is bizarre, and I love it. It's so good. Uh, so check that out. Also, Craig just wrote a piece that was really good about three up, three down. So you should <laughs> re, you should check that out about players who are on the up and on the not so up. So you should yeah. maybe check that out as well. I'm I'm you you gave Andrew some love. I got to give you some. Oh, I, thanks, buddy. The only place I write is Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, instant replay. Instant replay. We've yeah. Got, we've got to spend some minutes on the instant replay. I, we've, we've been talking about talking about it. Is that nice. meta enough? That's talking super about meta. Talking about it. Yeah. Um, so I guess we finally have to talk about it because uh, in that same game, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> to to sit and watch a four and four minutes and some odd seconds review of a play that was so insanely close that there was not a right call, and yet and the game was delayed. You know, with with the walk to the to the headsets and back, the game was delayed five minutes. Yeah, for this call that was you could not possibly determine what the right call was for it. Uh, set the scenario so that everyone knows what you're talking about. Well, Craig, I would have to remember the scenario in order to... Yeah, I, I heard you dancing around it, didn't I? You totally did. I remembered being outraged. Um, 
But yeah, that's part of the whole issue right now that we're seeing with replay. Like you said, we've been wanting to talk about it because there's just been so much of it. And the Nationals have come out on the losing end of many, many, many challenges so far. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the Nationals and Dusty Baker are challenging and losing, which has happened, but it's a matter of other teams challenging plays that are getting reversed uh, to the other team's favor. And I don't have as much issue with it. I don't know. Just thinking about it, I don't know what the better way would be. Yeah, so the replay is a necessity. I, I believe that. I know that there are purists who still don't like it, and one of them is unfortunately the Washington Nationals color commentator. And so you have to hear him talk about it all the time. Drink. But, yeah, okay. Um, but with... It's a necessity. You're in the 21st century, and if you don't do that, then you're... I mean, you have to do it. You can't just say, well, we're going to say umpires get the calls wrong. But there are several people that tweeted out during this extremely long uh, delay from that game. You know, yes, you have the Armando Galarraga no-hitter Jim Joyce situation, who was an umpire in that game, by the way. Um, And so this is a reaction to that, and I get it. But you do have the problem of, yes, this is that Armando Galarraga situation is a clear situation where, you know, a perfect game was blown on the 27th out and it was an umpire's fault and there was no recourse for it. Um, And so that was a reaction. But at the same time, you do have all these other situations. And how do you how do you make rules to account for every situation? And you just cannot. Yeah, the MLB rulebook is crazy enough as it is. Yeah. And there was actually a change to the rulebook regarding replay, specifically designating the strings on a glove do not constitute the the glove. When I saw, I heard that, I think it was Charlie and Dave were talking about it uh, when I was in the car listening, and I was like, I heard that, and it was the first time I was like, are you kidding me? Like, just go and look at the balk rule for a second. Yeah. It's enormous. It's yeah. insane. And there's you can't challenge a bot call. Well, actually you can challenge a bot call. You just can't ch- can't challenge a or can't argue a step bot call. Like there's yeah, it's minutia. it's insane. So my problem with the replay system as it's currently designated is that their goal is not clearly not to get all of the calls right. Right. And don't let them tell you otherwise because that's not the case or else we wouldn't have a stupid manager's challenge where if you lose a challenge, you don't get to challenge anything else. And if, if, if that was the case, then there would not be a home plate umpire that called balls and strikes. Right. If, if the goal was to get everything right, then it would be a computer that showed up like somewhere on the home plate umpire or a bug in his ear where it would be, uh, the, in his ear it would say ball, and he would call it a ball, strike, he'd call it a strike. And he'd be there for plays at the plate and to help with foul ball and fair ball. But then you'd have a review for it. So, you know, it, it's, you, it, you're right. It's not to get the calls right. It's to increase the entertainment value, partially, and to get the very controversial, easy-to-overturn calls right. Yes. And uh, 
it makes it a dicey situation because then you have to make all of these rules. You have to change, you have to, to add subpart C to all of these ridiculous rules that exist to make sure every single scenario that's possibly considered could be taken care of, like the quote-unquote Utley rule or that, that's new this year. and Which the, they've the, finally had to change the neighborhood play. Ex- the neighborhood play, exactly. Because yeah. all of a sudden they care about getting the calls at second base right. Yeah, the pop-up slide. That's yeah. now a thing. Leave your tag on. And I'm not the best baseball player in the world. I never was. But one of the things I learned when I was an infielder is keep the ta- slap the tag on hard and keep it on. Yep. And now if that's done, the benefit will actually be there because you can overturn something like that on replay. So my big issue aside from the fact that they obviously don't care about actually getting everything right, right, is that I forgot what I was about to say. Well, my big issue is, is, is the time. And that, that for my, is my problem. When you have... Okay, so they've limited time between innings to 2 minutes and 15 seconds. Between, from the time the last pitch is thrown at the end of the last inning to the first pitch being thrown at the beginning of the next inning or half inning or whatever the case may be, you have two minutes and 15 seconds because they're trying to make sure the game goes faster. Yes. I have no problem with that, to be totally honest with you. No. I, I think it's great that you're forcing the starting pitcher to come out. If you, if you want your eight pitches, you better come out of the dugout. You better go to the go to the rubber, and you better throw your eight pitches because you've got two minutes and 15 seconds, and then we're starting the next inning or the next half inning. Why is instant replay not that way? And that is, to, like, to your point, instant replay the point obviously is not to get everything right. That is not the point. The point is to get most of the things right. If you have two minutes and 15 seconds from the time that you put your your headphones on and start talking to New York and you do not have a conclusive decision, then you say, the call stands. We had two minutes and 15 seconds to look at replay. We have no conclusive evidence to overturn that. It's over. Two minutes, two minutes, 15 seconds, it's done. We're, we're not looking at this anymore. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Uh, I, I remember what I was going to say. Yeah. My problem is that with all of these challenges that the Nationals have not lost but had overturned against them, I would say a good 75% of these calls were so clearly blown calls Yeah. that I have no idea. Like – they had to spend, I think it was last Sunday, uh, last Sunday, two minutes reviewing a play at first where Nationals first baseman didn't come close to tagging him, but he was ruled out. Yeah. It's stuff like that. It's like, how are, like, that's the, that's the thing that people should be concerned about is how like, many of these calls are egregiously blown yeah. that are overturned after replay that take another two minutes. Even yeah. if it takes two minutes, that's way too long for some of these calls. I mean, well, it does not take a rocket science. When FP and Bob say, oh, yeah, this is going to be overturned, and within one second of looking at it, I mean, how many of these calls are just being blown? Are umpires – are they just saying, ah, eh, it'll be overturned if it's wrong and not really caring about getting it right? But it's – been so many calls that are just so wrong and to the naked eye we've seen plays at first overturned that were clearly safe 
Yeah. Or clearly out to the naked eye. And it's like, that's what I'm concerned about. That's, that's a problem. Yeah. It's, and I wonder if it's a, a dated, you know, a a dated umpiring crew, you know, umpiring crews don't change over all all that much. Uh, guys stay around a long time. They get older. Um, and you don't have the new blood, or is it the new blood that's causing the problem? I don't know. Uh, and I don't know that with, with human error, there's just a way to, f- you're going to have those problems that you, you know, you look at it and you go, wow, that really looks safe. And you, then you look at the replay and go, oh God, how did they mess that up? I don't even understand how they can mess that up. But, you know, being down there, if like, it might look so easy on camera, but you are just physically in the wrong position. Yeah. And then you, you know, whose fault is that? Is it the umpire's fault? Is it because the umpire isn't as mobile as the umpire possibly should be? Is it, you know, there's so many, there's so many factors there, you know, and you can't, I'm not trying to go there and I don't really want to, Never mind. I'm not going to say it. All right. That's fine. I'm not going to say it. Uh, But you look at it and it's hard to, some calls have been pretty egregious and as such, that's kind of why it goes into my point of, okay, yeah, for those kinds of calls, over, overturn it real quick and get it over with. Right. But for real these, quick. For these, you know, half a spike calls, you know what? The umpire did the best that he could at full speed. It's as close as you're possibly going to get. It's over. It's done. Move on. And, yep. it, you know, it, I think you could really make an argument for 60 seconds of review. You know, 75 seconds of review. Done. You're done. You you look at it and you're not like, oh, shit, that was a huge mistake. If, if that's not your reaction immediately, then, okay, move on. Get the game going. And and on the same note, this ability of the manager to to hold up play, to then go and have their guy look at replay, to then whatever, like... To players... Yeah, it's it's insane. The second something happens, they're motioning and gesturing to the dugout. Ugh. Yeah, and and that's terrible enough. Don't get me wrong, that is terrible enough. But if they're going to do a replay, they should absolutely. Wow, Anthony and Ryan. Yeah, because that's, that's that very was a good. great play. Sorry, we're watching Tuesday's game while we're recording this. Um, that was phenomenal really double play. Really good. Um, if if that's going to be the case, just get it over with and say you have. At the end of a play, after a call's done, you have 10 seconds to call a challenge. Like, if ML, MLB's entire point with all of their initiatives is to speed up gameplay, those are two really good ways to cut five or six minutes off of the game. Right. Every game. Every single game, there is some sort of thing where the manager holds up, the players, at the end of an inning, the players hang out on the field, they wait, they look at the review, they go back, it's not a review, then the players come off the field, it's, it's 45 seconds wasted. Then the review is another another three minutes and 20 seconds wasted. And then, it, you know, it's just a whole lot of time. And I, I am pro-instant replay. Yeah, I, I, that was, I was actually just about to ask you, so... Would you change it or would you eliminate it now that you've seen what it's become? No, I, I would change it. I would certainly not eliminate it. I think it is important. But there are a whole lot of ways that you can make it better that go in line with all of the arguments you're trying to make about improving the speed of the, this pace of play. You can't say you're going to cut everything ever to improve the, the pace of play and talk about having a, a pitch clock, but 
somebody can review a play in New York for five minutes before they determine what the deal is. It's insane. It's it's, yeah. it's disparate thought processes, nice. and it bothers me. Uh, so on that note, we're going to go ahead and uh, talk to our awesome guest that we have coming on this week, and we're going to share uh, that interview with you right now. All right, and we're here with Jake Russell, a uh, uh, local Maryland native who has written a book called 100 Things Nationals Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Jake, thank you for coming on the show. We're really happy to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you love baseball, how long you've loved baseball, and uh, just give us your bio a little bit. Yeah, I'm from a small town that no one's ever heard of called Mayo, Maryland. It's just a few minutes south of Annapolis. Um, I grew up following all the D.C. sports teams. Um, of course, there wasn't a D.C. baseball team when I was a kid, so obviously Kyle Ripken was the guy I looked up to baseball-wise when I was younger. Um, the Orioles were the team I followed, such as most baseball fans my age in this area. Um, my primary love is actually football. I'm going to duck here so I hide from all these objects th- being thrown from all these Nats fans listening. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Hashtag love on. It's okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, um, the way I got into writing this book was uh, I had a little bit of free time on my hands last year, and um, the Orioles version had just come out. I already owned the Redskins and Ravens version of this book, and uh, I noticed that a Nats one hadn't been out yet, so I inquired with the publisher – um, to see what the status was with this book. And they said they've been in talks with a few people, but nothing's concrete. Um, if I want to send them a few samples, um, shoot them their way, and they'll they'll take a look. So I sent about 16 different things that I've written over the years, and I want to let them know that I was serious about doing this. And then I don't think it was even a week or two after they they uh, offered me to write the book, and I told myself I can't I can't turn this down now. I have to go for it. And so I basically spent, you know, April through October of last year working on this book. Um, and I learned a lot doing this, which was it was pretty fun. Um, this book has something for everybody. It has all kinds of senator stories for the uh, the older generation that grew up with the Frank Howards of the world and the, the Harmon Killebrews and hearing about how great Walter Johnson was when he played for the senators back in the day. And it also has something for those fans that went three and a half decades without baseball in D.C. And, and kind of starving for baseball in their life, and they can't get enough of it, even to this day. And it also has something for the kids that are growing up now with Bryce Harper as their, their end-all, be-all. He's their generation's Cal Ripken. Um, it's, it's probably, I think, the most comprehensive D.C. baseball book, obviously, because it's up-to-date through last season. Um, I think it, it obviously has something for everybody, and I think uh, if you're out there, I don't think it's a bad purchase, personally. Not that I'm biased or anything. No, no, not at all. No, it's fantastic. Uh, while leading up to this interview uh, on the show previously in, in conversations with friends, I've been telling everyone this is like the go-to almost encyclopedia of the big moments in Nationals history and Senators history. And I was really, really happy to see some stuff in there about the Homestead Grays. Yeah, that was really interesting. I was... I was kind of frustrated reading it, the, the fact that Clark Griffith was so hesitant to bring on, you know, the Buck Leonard's and Josh Gibson's of the world. And how good would that team have been, the Senators team have been, if they had just agreed to get over that racial divide? You know, it's easy for me to say because times were so much so different back then. But that baseball team would have been so much better than it was. And who knows if the team would have stuck around if they, you know, they had a better lineage after if they had brought them on. They would have two legitimate superstars who could play with anybody. 
they would have a, a drawing card for every game. They would have two superstars in their hands. I, things like that kind of, in a way, I guess, made me shake my head and thought, God, how different would the life of you know D.C. baseball fan in this area, how different would that have been if those guys had been brought on? Yeah, it was. Uh, I really enjoyed reading that stuff. It is a uh, quite a shame, and I know they had those conversations uh, with Griffith about joining up. But you got to figure, even at that time, DC was still kind of a southern city, and yeah, so it really this was. is this is pre civil rights. This is this is a completely different time. It would have been amazing, but man, just hearing the stories about Jackie Robinson and what he went through years later. Still just absolutely horrific. So it's a shame, but I'm glad that the Grays uh, got a little uh, play in there because it's definitely an underrated portion of D.C. baseball history just because there's not a ton written about it. There's not a lot in the, you know, you can't do a LexisNexis search for Homestead Grays and find too much. Yeah, exactly. It's really tough. And, And one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to combine a lot and put it all into this one book so it would make people's lives a lot easier for research purposes. Um, I probably spend about four to 500 hours working on this thing, and, and I hope it, it shines through when people read this. And they said, and I hope they say to themselves, there was a lot of, there's a lot of information here and a lot of stuff I didn't know about. That's what the one thing I want people to take away from this is learning some new information. Obviously, the Nationals chapters are primarily a refresher course for, for people who followed the team the last 11 seasons. But there's also something for the for the younger generation that didn't know about the Senators. Hopefully they'll get to learn about what was here before they were around. Well, I feel like for me, you know, looking at it, I think there's a lot of information in here, like you said, that, you know, from, from Homestead Gray's days or Washington Senators days, that's, as somebody who was not around during those times, it's it's great historical refresher. But, like, just looking through, and Craig and I were talking about it a little bit before we started recording here today, it was like, you know, just looking through, talking about Smiley Gonzalez and talking about, you know, all of these stories that happened so long ago that you just kind of forget. I, I honestly, until I was just kind of looking through this book, I completely forgot about that Jason Worth went to jail last year. Yeah. Like, I mean, I completely, <laughs> like last year. I completely forgot that was even a thing. And so I think that's one of the really cool things about your book, and I think that's one of the things that's going to make it stick around quite a bit, is you have these stories of people that were that seemed so relevant to the Nationals while they were on the team, but in hindsight, they are so irrelevant. And I'm not talking about, you know, Jason Worth, obviously. That's not... You're talking about Tony Plush. I, that is literally the chapter that I'm looking at right now, is Tony Plush. I swear, that is exactly where I was looking. And just thinking about Smiley Gonzalez and how... That whole controversy changed the entire dynamic of the Washington Nationals by giving Mike Rizzo a job. You know, it's it's crazy how how you hit so many things that were serious and important topics for the the Nationals uh, over the last ten or eleven years that you just completely forget about until you go through and go, oh yeah, that was a big deal when that happened. Jim Riggleman just quit in the middle of a year. That it's happened. Am- yeah, it's amazing to think how dysfunctional they were to- before they became functional. And for DC sports fans, I guess in a sense, should be I don't kind of grateful that a team can be so dysfunctional and become so functional in such a short amount of time. I mean, they've only been around 11 years, and they were an, a major league embarrassment just a few years after 
and then became pretty relevant once Rizzo obviously got lucky with, you know, being so terrible they were able to get Strasburg and Harper in consecutive, um, you know, obvious number one picks two years in a row, which never happens. Um, it's amazing how quick this team turned around. I think it's one of the reasons fans love them so much is because they went from <laughs> pretty embarrassing to one of the most respected franchises in the league in a short amount of time and for being such a young franchise, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that kind of leads me right into it. Uh, so you said 400 to 500 hours. Mm-hmm. How many topics did you have that you had to whittle down, i.e., What's number 101, and what else is on the cutting room floor? Um, I had about, well, when I, before I even emailed the, the company, I had about 30 to 40 ideas in my head um, that I wanted to touch on. Um, I had a bunch of other ideas that I, I kind of left off, and they were, you know, they wanted me to split it about 70, 30 national senators. And there were other chapters that I kind of wanted to put in there, but they were mostly senators' chapters. Um, one of them was about how um, Richard Nixon wanted pretty much campaigned with Major League Baseball to bring a team back to D.C. Um, and he, he really loved the Nat, or the Senators back in the day. He didn't want them to go anywhere. Um, but once it kind of set in for him that they weren't coming back, he kind of wanted to be a presidential thing that the presidents would support their hometown team. So he went back to his California Angels allegiance, and he thought the president should throw out the first pitch for their hometown teams every year. But obviously that didn't necessarily become a, a regular thing. But it was pretty cool to see the kind of support he had with, um, with bringing a team back. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, really interesting stuff about you know presidential first pitches and that whole um, you know Barack Obama wearing a White Sox hat, President Bush throwing out the first pitch not once but twice, and that's actually one of my favorite little fun facts that I picked up out of the book was that the ball used for the first pitch at RFK was the final out ball from the forfeited game when the Senators left town yeah, the second time. Thing. Yeah, that was interesting, the, the fact that that pitcher had the had the wherewithal to keep that ball. And they, they kind of knew that the fans were getting restless. They could sense it. They saw a few people climbing over before the game was starting, before the game ended. And uh, <laughs> they said, uh, oh, this isn't going to be great. Uh, it's not going to be good. So he, he knew once the little ripple effect started to happen, he might as well keep the ball. And then he saw some more people jumping over the fences, and he's like, you know what, I'm not giving this to anybody. That was a really smart move on his part. Yeah, and the fact that all those years later it could be used to essentially bring baseball back into D.C. That's just a really cool little touch that I'm sure not a lot of people know about, that you're definitely going to pick up that kind of little nuance in this book and a ton more. So that was one of my favorite little things. What was your favorite, or you can go top three if you want, uh, chapters to write, or oh, stories, I, yeah. I guess you would say. My two favorite, I have two favorite chapters. One was about Moberg, the senator's spy. He was. I have a note on Moberg. I, yeah. I told Joe, I said, just wait till you get to the chapter on Moberg. This yeah. is the coolest thing. Yeah, he did say that. He was one of the most fascinating people I've ever read about, honestly, and I don't really say that lightly because I'm not that amazed by that many things in life. I'm pretty jaded for someone who's not even 30 yet. Well, but, you're a DC sports fan. That exactly. Kind of yeah, true story. Does it to kind of, you? <laughs> yeah, when I read about him, it was it was unbelievable. You don't you don't think of an, a professional athlete getting into that line of work, especially eventually going on to work for the forerunner of the CIA. That's that's so amazing to me. And it was the funniest line from me researching him was it was said the guy was a borderline genius. He wasn't necessarily that personable, 
um, and he would read like six newspapers a day. Um, it was said he could speak 12 languages, but he couldn't hit in any of them. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I love that. I love reading that. It was pretty funny. Um, and, yeah, he went on an uh, all-star tour in Japan with legends, literally legends. Like, oh, uh, yeah. He was, he was not a great ball player. No, he was, he was, the main reason he was on teams was for his defensive prowess. And offensively, he was not that, not that good. Um, but he was on that all-star, all-star team with, you know, Babe Ruth and Jimmy Fox and Lou Gehrig all the way out in Japan. Everyone's like, what's he doing here? Well, they, one day, the team went off and played a game against, I guess, a a team of Japanese all-stars. And Mo decided to go act like he was a friend of a U.S. ambassador whose daughter just had a baby at the uh, hospital in Tokyo, which was the tallest building in the, in the city at the time. And he wore a kimono, and he hid a camera under his kimono, and he went up to the floor that she was on. He um, took the elevator up there. Then he didn't even go visit her at all. He went up the steps and went to the top of the building, pulled out the camera from under his kimono, and started shooting video of the harbor and the, the skyline and everything around the, the hospital. And the fact that he was... <laughs> The fact that he was able to do that was you just don't think of ball players doing things like that. That that really stood out to me. Um, and the other chapter I loved the most was the Washington dot 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 Padres. It was a uh, I was I didn't had no idea that the Padres are so close to moving to D.C. That was one of the best parts about doing this book was learning so much diff- so many different things. Um, the fact that they already had a player model Washington Stars uniforms was I had no idea that happened. I, was, I need to see that uniform. Um, I actually tweeted a picture of it yesterday. I saw a picture on the Nationals' Instagram yesterday of that uniform, so I think they must have it on display somewhere. I'm assuming the stadium, obviously. Excellent. It's fan- it screams the 70s. It's like a powder blue uniform with block letters that say Washington in red, and it's like a tri-panel cap with a, a, a block W and a star at the tip of the W. It, it just screams 70s, but it's amazing. Um, and it was, you know, it was a rookie pitcher from the Padres sporting that. That's how close they were to moving the team, and they even had – baseball cards printed out that said National League Washington with a bunch of Padres players on it, like Willie McCovey. Um, they were so close, but the, the team had a stadium deal with San Diego that they uh, the city would not let them back out of, so they they had to keep the team in that city. Oh, man, I, I just found the photo, Jake. That is, you are not kidding. That is, like, the most 70s picture I've ever seen in my life. It's, yeah, like... And why that pitcher's holding a bat, I have no idea. With the, with the red, white, and blue belt, too. I mean, it is just... Oh, yeah. You need to send that out from the Twitter account. I will definitely send that out with the Good. Twitter account when we're done. Yeah, that is that is spectacular. Yeah, and I who was it that actually was uh, trying to buy the Padres? It was... Ooh, um, I forget his name. It's amazing how many things you forget when you do a book. Yeah. Well, uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of names in the well, book. <laughs> but when you write hundreds of pages on, 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 a t- on topics, you're allowed to forget. But anyway, I, I do believe the sale price was actually less uh, to keep the team in San Diego than it would have been to move them to yeah, it was, uh, uh, D.C. It was Joseph, it was Joseph Dazansky, he, Danzansky. He had owned uh, several giant grocery stores. That's right. Uh, he agreed to pay $12 million for the team. And that's, imagine $12 million for a sports franchise. It's amazing how different things are 40 years after the fact. It's crazy. Even, even 20 years after the fact, the, the, the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, I know, like, you know, bought a team for $50 million, sold, sold it for, you know, a billion dollars. It's, cra- it's crazy how even how sports have increased. But to think about buying, like you said, a franchise for $12 million is kind of a preposterous concept. Yeah, it must be nice, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's got to have that initial $12 million investment. Exactly, and the Astros actually came close to moving to D.C. in the 90s, and uh, 
there was a guy who headed like the a Northern Virginia baseball um, group to bring the um, Astros here, and then he tried to bring the Expos here a couple times before they finally moved here. It's just, and the the learners even actually tried to buy the Orioles in the seventies. It's I didn't realize how many different times there that people had a, attempted to bring a team to the area. So I was kind of happy about that when I read that. I was like, at least you know these people in this area, the businessmen in this area, didn't go down in vain. You know, <laughs> they actually tried to do something about it and didn't just let you know no team field RFK for 30 years. They, they got that it was a preposterous thing that DC didn't have a baseball team for 30 years. It is. The fact that the, you know, the quote unquote most powerful city in the world doesn't have America's pastime, it, it, it still boggles my mind. It really does. Yeah. And even here, we're sitting here today and it just, I can't remember my life really before the nationals because it just, <laughs> it was so empty. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can remember it. It was a lot of Bowie Bay Sox games and uh, Camden Yards trips. That's <laughs> all the Bay Sox. I like seeing them. It's it, it's fun to go to minor league games. It's just not quite the same as yeah. going, going and sitting among 42,000 people, you know? <laughs> there's a slight difference. Exactly. Yeah, and there's, of course, once again, there's some great things about uh, how to go see uh, your minor league affiliate and other affiliates around the area like the Bay Sox and you know, the Harrisburg Senators, Potomac Nationals, not far. Hagerstown with ancient Memorial Stadium, you know. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. In fact, it's amazing how drivable these these trips are. I mean, it's they're very manageable, and, you know, you save a ton of money on the ticket price. And if you time it right, you'll get to see an injured player rehabbing and playing in those games. So that's – the bang's worth the buck, I think. Oh, yeah, for I, sure. I, I, I was at a game a couple of years ago when, when Wilson Ramos and Bryce Harper were both rehabbing at Potomac. And it was like one of those things where you go, this is, you never get, even if you got front row seats at Nats Park, you're not as close as you are right now to these players. And you just, it, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing to be able to have that opportunity and to, to give people tips that may not even know that's a thing, I think is just another value of the book, which I think how, is awesome. How to get autographs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As a kid, I love getting them, but obviously as you get older and you start to become older than the players, it becomes really weird. So you just got to stop <laughs> at a certain point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's true. why I emphasize it's for the kids. Parents don't yell out for autographs. Let your kids do it, and you know, obviously, teach your kids respect. Say, Mister Harper, Mister Strasburg, whatever. Players love that. If they hear a kid saying that, like, oh my god, these kids, these kids have manners. I definitely want to sign an autograph for them. Um, yeah, it's 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 easier if you're nicer, pretty much. That's the that's yeah. the genesis of that 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 chapter. Well, All right. So I I couldn't possibly pick a favorite chapter. Um, so I'm just going to list a couple that I really, really enjoyed. I totally forgot there was a romantic comedy filmed at Nats Park. <laughs> I, judging by the box office, I think most people did. So. <laughs> I've seen it, and it's terrible. <laughs> it's really, and I love that there was, you know, Jim Riggleman was quoted about the movie, didn't even know it was going to happen until a couple days before, which is just delightful. I mean, he probably had a, an appearance at Caddy's or something. He was probably really busy. Those <laughs> Much more <laughs> important. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. Uh, also, speaking of Caddy's, Jim Riggleman, uh, the fact that he was essentially responsible for the Nationals getting Steven Strasburg. Going down to the wire the last uh, last week of that season, he was managing the Mariners, and they went on a little bit of a tear while the Nationals went on, what's the opposite of a tear? <laughs> A bit of a... a slide? Yeah, yeah. we'll go with a slide. Maybe we'll go with a, a slide. Maybe a flopping. You know? Continuing their slide. <laughs> yes. It really is amazing how things work. Like, you you don't necessarily want to root for your own team to lose. 
But if it's ever to happen, it's supposed to be in a situation like that, where there's a no-miss, you know, can't-miss prospect coming for the number one spot, and you're in position to get that spot. You know, if you're already, you know, 30 or 40 games below 500, you know, what's a couple more? <laughs> yeah. To get the number one draft pick when you know who it is. Yeah, there was just uh, – I, I, I could not count how many of the 100 I just absolutely adored. I thought it was just a, a great read, and it's really – a really a – really, a really quick read. I mean, each chapter is uh, two to three, four pages, uh, so you can read a couple at a time, bang out the book in no time. So exactly. really enjoyed it. It was well, uh, Yeah, busy people can just put it away. They read a chapter, put it away, read a couple more the next day, and it doesn't really cut in their day very much. No, and it uh, like I said, it's the encyclopedia for Nats fans. For you know, If you follow the team for a year, if you follow the team for 11 years, it's – you're going to learn something, and you're going to get a lot out of it. And it's a great reference, you know? It's I, a good coffee table book. I agree completely. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it really is a great book. And it, like, like Craig said, it, it allows you to kind of tap into the things you forgot about and the things that you may, ne- may have never known. And uh, I know there are a lot of things that I, that I read in there that I just had no idea. Uh, like I said, especially with the Senators and Gray's stuff. It, it was very cool, and even just anecdotes from the uh, from from other things and, and minutia that you found as far as details. So uh, it's definitely worth a pickup. But bef- anything else on the book, Craig? Questions? Uh, I probably have more, but I'd rather just talk some, you know, 2016 Nats baseball with yeah, Jake. Exactly. Um, so I guess there we're a few weeks into the season now, Jake, and so we're going to talk a little bit about the season. Is there anything that you're seeing right now that you can compare as you were doing research for this book that you felt that this this year kind of makes you feel like something from the Nationals past. Do you have any kind of initial impressions there, or uh, is it is it too hard to do that at this point? Um, you look at the schedule and you, it kind of humbles you a bit because the first you know twenty some games the teams are not the best. They're not top notch. So. In a way, they're doing what they need to do. They're beating their opponents. They're 10 games above 500, which is exactly what you want. But the real test is coming in the next couple weeks with the with the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Royals, Tigers, teams like that. Um, we'll see, I think, the real test in the next few weeks if they start to face adversity or if they just overcome facing these really talented teams. Um, I mean, everything's, of course, it's really, really great when you're winning and everybody's all hunky-dory and, and everybody loves each other and everyone's, you know, Hall of Famer. Um, don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, but I really want to see how they're performing in the next couple weeks. Um, but right now, they got themselves out to a really great start. Obviously, one of the best starts in D.C. baseball history. Even if they just play 500 ball the rest of the way, the rest of the season, they're in pretty good shape. Um, yeah, but like I said, the next few weeks will be really telling. So, And Dusty Baker wrote the forward in your book. Do you, do you think... What impact do you think that he's made? You know, you, you were saying how... You know, with the with the start being a little bit soft, but you know, a, a fourteen and three record is a, or a fourteen and four record is a fourteen and four record to start the year. Do you think? Do you think that Baker has played a factor at, to this point, the, just with the looseness of the way that they're playing? Oh yeah, that's the word I was going to use too. The guy is just so loose and relaxed, he's just so comfortable in his own skin and just in, in himself and his beliefs and just his behavior. He's just so. 
I don't know. I can't think of a better. He's just a cool guy. He's just, yeah. He's like the cool uncle you want to hang out with all the time, and you want to. Play. I was gonna go with grandpa, but uncle works too. Well, that's true. Touche. Touche. <laughs> great <laughs> uncle. Great uncle. We'll compromise it. Great uncle. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> like just and just the way the players have reacted about him. I mean, uh, Bryce Harper hugging Dusty Baker around the midsection. Yeah. <laughs> like that was just repeat that gif for eternity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or just, or Dusty when when Harper hit that game tying game in the in the in the epic sixteen inning game that just happened this past weekend, mm-hmm. uh, the Dusty Baker just freaking out and slamming his hand against the dugout with excitement when he hit it because he's uh, you know there, he just has so much personality coming from the last manager who he wrote a little bit about uh, who had none of that personality and so it's just such a welcome change of pace. Apparently that's all the team needed was a manager with personality. Not to you know knock Matt Williams because I really liked him. He's a, a really great guy. He's very smart. He knows more about baseball than in his you know the pinky nail than I know in my brain. The guy has lived through baseball. He's he knows it. He loves it. He's a genius. But he just didn't have that personality that this team apparently needed. We didn't know they needed a personality manager until you know Davey left and Matt came into the fold. Um, now you see what happens when the, the dugout's a little looser and, you know, their manager shows emotion when they actually have a big play. It's kind of like they just need a little bit of reaffirmation when they do something good as opposed to, yeah, good job. That was a good play. Good job. We're going to win. Good job. They want someone with some excitement. And, and, you know, how old is Dusty? What, 66? He's 66. I think 66. I think that's right. Yeah, he's 66 going on 26, essentially. He does not act his age. And it's that's part of the relatability factor is he doesn't act his age. I mean, he does when he, you know, tells them what to do and gives them instructions, but he's he's willing to show his emotions, and it's like, obviously, he's like a kid, you know, managing a kid's game, and it shows. Well, it was, like, might... it was like in his pregame, it, it, when he was hired, and he, they had that press conference, and he said, yeah, basically said, yeah, I'm 66, but I look better than most of you, you know, <laughs> and he's just like, he's just, he just has that personality, and I think with guys in the in the clubhouse, like, like Worth and Papelbon and Harper that have these big personalities, I just think it gels real well in that situation because I think that he can relate to the, the way that those guys are thinking that are a little bit more vocal in the in the clubhouse and in the locker room. You might say he wants to make baseball fun again. <laughs> yes, indeed. He he gels well with his young his young star's mission. Yeah. You can tell from his intro, introductory presser, like, oh, here we go. This is going to be a fun two, three, four years, hopefully. It's just, this guy's got personality in spades. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he, he's a press conference you want to watch. It's just, you never know what he's going to say, and you can't get mad at whatever he says. You just go, God. And I think one of the, to spend a little more time on Dusty Baker, I think one of the things that's most impressed me is the amount of baseball knowledge that he obviously made a point to get during his time away from baseball uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a dugout. I just think that he... Some of the decisions he's made in these first few weeks of the year just screamed to me that he wanted to get better with the on-field decisions, and I think he's definitely done that. Do you, do you have that impression as well, or do you have a, a different thought? Yeah, you can tell even in the first game, the opener against Atlanta with his bullpen decision, he doesn't, you know, he's not as rigid with his decisions as Matt Williams is. Matt Williams was, you know, when the, the Nats had a two or more run lead, you knew who was going to pitch the seventh, eighth, and ninth. If they were, you know, down by three or four, you knew who was going to pitch the seventh, eighth, and ninth. With Dusty, it, it seems like it just all depends on feel. It all depends on matchups. It all depends on, you know, what he's observed going into the game or how the game is progressing. Um, 
I, I think Dusty's a lot more open to ideas than people give him gave him credit for going into you know being higher. Everyone just criticized him with you know not being a, as adaptive to the game as he should be. And I don't think he's shown that yet. I think he's shown that he's <laughs> he knows what he's doing even in today's era. He's grown with the game. He's been in baseball pretty much his whole life. And the fact that he's still around shows he can adapt to the game. I think that's a good point. And you're talking to two people that host this podcast that held that exact opinion when Dusty was first hired. And I think I could speak for Craig uh, to say that we both kind of changed our tune on that, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so my final question, and then I could let Craig ask his last question before we wrap this up. And that is, is Bryce Harper the best player in baseball right now? Um, I don't see why not. And um, I guess, like I said earlier, <clears throat> we'll see how he performs against these uh these top-notch teams in the next few weeks. But like the rest of the team, he's doing what he needs to do, and he's hammering the competition. Um, I don't see any sign of him slowing down for the rest of the year. He's essentially on average to hit a home run every two games. Which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> it's Bonds-like, maybe. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a connection there. Yeah, yeah. just maybe. <laughs> Craig, anything else to add before we uh, wrap up? Just this? one final question before we wrap it up. Who has been your favorite player since the Nats came to DC? <sighs> um, this is probably a really random pick. I, oh, I love random. You're talking. You're, you're going to make loves Craig's day with Ryan random. Church, Termel Sled. I have a Termel Sled jersey. <laughs> so bring, lay it on me I think I'm going to have to go with Steve Lombardozzi oh, wow going there hit, when he was here the guy hit pretty well and he played very hard and the guy was undersized so I kind of admired that about him that he kind of de- defied the odds and the best part he's a Maryland native so he did us Marylanders proud when he you know made it to the big leagues he's and, playing indie ball now yeah in- in Maryland. Blue Crabs. Southern yeah. Maryland Blue Crabs, man. Go, yeah. go down to Waldorf, see one of those games. That's not in the book, but you can always see them play. That's right. right. Yeah, um, too big for his jersey. He wore a number one. I thought that was fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, Jake, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking some baseball with us. Uh, go ahead, plug your Twitter, your book, your website, whatever you need to do. Awesome. Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jake Russell. Two S's, two L's. Not Jack. I'm not the dog. Although people people confuse me with that sometimes. <laughs> um, you can buy the book, autographed copies at that um, at jakerussellsports.com/slash/nationals-book, or just go to my website and click all the Nationals book tab. Um, every copy comes autographed with a personalized note. If you, you can buy it and then leave a little note as to who do you want me to sign it for, I'll definitely do that. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, Jake, thanks again for coming on the show. We appreciate it. The book is great. You should check it out. 100 Things Nationals Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Go find it. Uh, Go to his website. Buy an autographed copy. Jake, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. And now it's time for questions. We have lots. Well, not as many as we usually do, actually. I'm not going to say we have lots. We We have questions, Craig. I love questions. We have questions. And I'm looking for my phone, and I don't have any idea where it is. That's, um, that's a I mean, very weird state for me to be in. Joe's uncomfortable right now. Uh, so question we're getting from a lot of people. What's wrong with Max Scherzer? Yeah. Well, not much. He is missing more spots than he did year before. Yeah. I, 
I think if you have if you have to point at a problem with Max Scherzer, it's location. Yeah. I mean, his stuff's there. Yeah. He, oh, he's, he's got the movement there. It's just when he was painting the corner last year, he's missing in yeah. and getting beat because major league hitters can hit mistakes. Yeah. I mean, that's... They're they're seven hundred fifty of the best players in 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 the in the world. I mean, they are incredibly good. Um, yeah. So they're gonna you you throw a fastball that's not in the location that you want. It doesn't matter how hard you throw it; they're gonna hit it. That's the way it works. Yeah. He's um, still the same pitcher. He's having not the start he wanted, but he's not having a terrible start. Yeah. He's not Jason Marquis. Yo. Yeah, the, the, it's a sample size issue right now because um, you look at his numbers and you go, okay, his strikeouts, his strikeout rate is down, his walk rate is up, his home run weight rate is up, his BABIP is down, which means he's getting lucky. Well, with the home run rate up, that, yeah, exactly. So home that, run and walks that stands to reason as well, and his ground ball rate is up, so he's getting he's actually getting more ground balls. So you. But also, his home run per fly ball rate is way up. Yeah. So he's he's getting unlucky in that situation. So I think it's an issue of small sample size right now. I think that he will figure it out. He has not had a season in the previous four years with a strikeout rate below 10. There In 2012, he was above 11. He right now is at 8.28 strikeouts per nine innings. He's going to figure that out. And maybe not to the point that he did to get 11 strikeouts, but he's going to get up into the nines, close to 10. And as that happens, he starts missing more bats. He starts locating better. He's going to figure it out, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's keeping the Nationals in ball games, So, yeah, that's, exactly. He, yeah, that's, he, that's more than many pitchers of Nats your did. And he, he's just not doing the seven, eight inning... Uh, deep starts that people have become accustomed to in his, after his year in D.C., but I think that'll turn around. I, I Yep. It'll turn around at some point. Um, yeah, a lot of people ask that question. So uh, so Feng asks, what do you think of Dusty and his coaching staff so far? Do you like the new day-off system he has? And I will say that uh, we just talked about it with Jake Russell a little bit. Uh, we We all kind of are on board with Team Dusty. Um, and the staff have done an awesome job. And we talked about it before the season started. With with the way that the Nationals lineup looks, you have to give days off all the time. These are guys that have a propensity for getting hurt, and you have to give days off. Yeah, I think it's really smart. Um, and you're seeing the Nationals are up five runs late, seven runs late. Let's rest some guys. Get them out. Get a couple innings off of their legs, you know, you're seeing that kind of thing, which is giving the regulars or the, the bench players, maybe one at bat, maybe three innings in the field, you know, enough to just stay fresh. So you're getting a little bit of the best of both worlds. So I think it's fantastic. I think that's one of the things we mentioned at the beginning of the season with uh, players like Jason Worth needing, uh, you know, 120 games yeah. is a lot for him. Yeah. So getting him that day off, once or twice a week, that's going to make him a better player over the course of the season than him trying to play 140 games, and, 150 games. And Ryan Zimmerman, too. He's in the same boat. You tr- if Ryan Zimmerman, he's not quite in the worth boat. He's quite a bit younger, but he also has had some 
you know, numerous and various issues uh, with health. And if you can get, I think I said that one of my bold predictions of the year was that Ryan Zimmerman was going to play 140 games. And if you could get Ryan Zimmerman to play 140 games, you are going to have a good year as a team. He is one of those guys you have to have in there all the time because that probably means he didn't hit the DL if he played 140 games. So um, I think that the rest, and even for guys like Harper, who got the quote-unquote day off despite the fact that he hit that massive home run, uh, he, he needs to get a few days off a year, even if he's healthy all year, because otherwise that's how you get hurt and you break down and you end up not having a Bryce Harper-like season. Right, and one of the things that's great about that is, yeah, you know Bryce Harper doesn't want to take the day off, but you can tell how much the players trust and believe in what Dusty Baker is doing so far. Totally. They're okay with it. They're not going to – Jason Worth's not going to bust into the clubhouse and have to say, put me on the lineup, when did you think you lost this clubhouse? Oh, God. Still one of my favorite lines ever. So um, there's a trust factor there that wasn't there uh, in years previous. So I think it's a good thing. I think it's great. I think – uh, seeing Lobatone in there a couple times a week is very helpful for yep. uh, newly sighted Wilson Ramos, who is on bereavement leave, sadly. Yeah, sadly for him, he lost his grandfather this week. So, uh, oh, I hadn't seen anything confirmed. Yeah, I saw. I think I saw grandfather. Uh, oh, yeah, it was in the press release. That's where I saw it. Okay, Grand, yeah. his grandfather. Um, yes. So the Dan asks a question. Hey, the uh, Dan. What's Den Decker's short-term and long-term future with the Nats. Also, thanks for taking my freight train question last year. Man, we really devolved into all those freight rail work stuff last week. I forgot about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Den Decker's short-term and long-term future with the Nats. Uh, short-term, uh, bench player, fourth outfielder, spelling in center, spelling in right, spelling in left, nice left-handed bat, long-term, under club control, He's not going anywhere. Yeah, it, it's he's right now, he's the Nationals' fifth outfielder right now, and by virtue of Ben Revere's injury, he's the fourth. Yes. Um, you know, Chris Heisey is very obviously a pinch hitter. He's He is 2016 to... 2016 Chris, Chris Heisey is 2012 Chad Tracy. He's, he's really not going to play defense under many, if any, circumstances. Uh, but uh, he is going to get a whole lot of pinch hits. That's going to be his role, the role that he should have. Um, but yeah, short term, he's the he's the catch-all outfielder, depending on the guy that you're giving a day off uh, until Ben Revere comes back. And then when Ben Revere comes back, he goes back to Syracuse. To, um, maybe. What do you think happens if not? I think Michael A. should go back down to Syracuse. You think, huh? I think so. Solely because Michael A. Taylor has not had the best start to the season. He's had a tough year. He's had a tough start. It's it's one of those things you could almost he, you know you could almost see it happening after hitting four twenty something on the spring. Huh? Sounds like something I might have read on thenetsblog.com today. Mm, gee, I wonder. Um, yeah, he's hitting sub two hundred to start the season. Yeah. I think he's at a two thirty on base percentage, something around there. Um, after essentially being the Grapefruit League MVP. During the spring, yeah, um, he has more of an upside future than Dan Decker for the Nationals. Yeah. He has more of a potential starter. So, so he's the guy that you put down to work. He's the stuff. guy you get down to get at bats 
to start in center field to continue to mature as a ball player, whereas Den Decker, you get him a hundred at bats and, and you know what his role is. Yeah. He's going to do his job. He's more of a veteran player, even though he's not a veteran. It's a, it's a really good point, and I agree with you. Do you think that's what happens? <sighs> you know, honestly, nothing would surprise me. Yeah, I I, I think I, the far yeah. more in tune staff this year than it has been recently. Yeah, I think I think what I said makes the most sense, but that's also because I said it, and why would I say it if I didn't believe it? Yeah, you totally changed my mind on it. I, I agree with you now. I would, um, I would, I would get on board. But do you think? Do you think that Rizzo and you know? Do you think that Dusty's going to go? I'd rather have Den Decker right now than than Taylor. Or do you think that Rizzo's going to go? I want Taylor to get some abs to have Den Decker. I think I don't know who's going to win that one. I have a feeling Rizzo would win that battle. Oh, I think so too. Um. Because I think Rizzo would want Michael A to get consistent ABs, whereas once Ben Revere comes back, that's not actually going to be the case. Yeah, definitely not. So, um, Beard asks us a couple of questions. Uh, number one, which we kind of hit on, but last time Beard got mad at me because we didn't ask the question. So why does MLB Replay Center hate us? Any thoughts? Um, I think that umpires are just getting a lot of things wrong. Yeah. As we discussed previously. Um, I don't think there's any malicious intent. Um, and if there was, meh. Yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think malicious, I think it's just one of those things. Yeah. Uh, and And I think there's going to be stretches this season where the Nationals win every challenge, or excuse me, are benefited from every challenge. True story. True story. I think it's all cyclical. It just, uh, happens. And can you imagine, uh, even with, losing or being on the lower end of the challenges where the nationals still are in terms of record. I mean, Oh yeah. Hasn't I really mean, hurt them too much. Hasn't hurt them in the least. Um, the other question that beard asks uh, is, is that his owner, uh, the owner of Jay Worth's beard, uh, has looked good and left field to discuss. And my response is yes. Yes. Yeah, um, well, well done. I mean, st- Looks good, not comfortable. I will be. I will give that caveat. Uh, but that said, he has made some remarkably good plays. Yes, uh, in the last week specifically, Jason Worth has been. He's looked like f- the old right fielding Jason Worth that you know from has, two years ago. Yeah, from a couple of years ago, where he's he slid, made some nice plays. He made that great home home run saving uh grab on what thir- when uh two thursday friday friday i feel like a day that ends in y that was yeah, in the last there week you go. uh but it was a really nice play uh and he he's made a few uh more than a few he's made several so uh well done on figuring out left field uh yeah after, it takes time i mean it takes time if anyone's ever seen the movie moneyball written by aaron sorkin of sports night and west wing well done Yes. Way to pull it in. You're welcome. I had to. Good, good um, job. There's a great scene where Billy Bean is trying to convince uh, Star-Lord uh, that he needs to play first base. Joe did not get the Star-Lord reference at all, by the way. No, um, I didn't. I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy. But you at least understand. I get okay. the ref. I get uh, the ref. That he needs to – that Hatterberg needs to play first instead of catcher. Yeah. Because he's more valuable because he's an on-base guy. And Billy Bean says to Star-Lord, uh, it's fine. First base is incredibly easy. And it turns to, uh, I forget who it was, playing Ron Washington, saying, 
it's incredibly hard. Yeah, exactly. It uh, is incredibly hard. And so, we talk all the time. It was the uh, same thing when, you know, when, when Zimmerman had the arm trouble, it was like, oh, boom, first base. Right. You know, like, and no. That's, yeah. It's a new, it's exactly it's a new, what I was it's a new say, job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a completely different way to see the ball coming off the bat. The ball moves differently. Yeah. The lights are different. The backgrounds are different. Um, it's not easy. And we talk about left field and first base as, oh, that's where you put the people who can't really do much. Yeah. Um, they're not easy still. See Adam LaRoche. Yeah. First base. I mean, come on. Come on, guys. Come on. All right. Next question. Uh, Michelle asks, uh, well, Michelle shares a piece of information I did not know until I read her tweet, which was, now that Skip Bayless is leaving ESPN, when do we get an NTOTG cable access show? And my answer is, talk to Fairfax or Loudoun Counties, madam, and then we'll figure it out. I think we'd have a better bet with Loudoun County. I think that's probably true. God, um, I love you so much. What? <sighs> Nothing. Just... Just let it. Just let it. Oh sit. damn it! Why do you spoil things? I stream. It's not that bad of a. Internet. It's not that bad of a spoiler. I'm just saying I love Bryce Harper. I just see that Bryce Harper is hitting, and I haven't figured out what's happening yet. And we're really devolving here, but I'm just gonna go ahead and you know, hopefully people appreciate it. And that's a nice rip to the left center field. Opposite gap. field, baby. Opposite uh, field. Feels it right, right, right where the shift was not. Um, um, so I would love to be on cable access with you, Joe, but I don't think they've yet figured out a way to light my nose. Uh, true story. Well, See, dude, I'm, I'm the one with the schnoz. You've got the, no, gym. no, Come on. gosh, you missed it. It's a, it was a sports night reference. Oh, you had, I don't, what, give me an episode. Uh, it's the one where Dan's considering growing a goatee. Oh God. That's a good, good pull. Yeah. Good pull. I missed it. Yep. Good pull. We, we've had requests for sports site reference. We've not request. We've been chastised when we haven't. <laughs> yeah. So Joe, uh, hopefully Joe Eisenman, hopefully I'm getting your name right. Uh, you have your sports night refs. We, gonna we're going to make a thing. Also, uh, Dan Guzman, because you know, you love it anyway. That's right. Special uh, ops member, Daniel Guzman. Indeed. True story. Uh, so Jude asks, do you think Lobotone will see more playing time this season? Uh, he's gotten a pretty paltry amount before the bereavement uh, leave situation for uh, Wilson Ramos. So I think the old, the number could only go up. I think that every year you have the situation where your backup catcher becomes somebody's uh, catcher of choice. And I, it, I think this year it's going to be Geo. Yeah, uh, it seems uh, to be. They, they they developed that connection last year a little bit. Yeah, um, and it doesn't help Lobatone too much that Ramos is off to a pretty decent start. Yeah, he's thanks not, to he's get less time LASIK. than he had uh, than than he, we had expected early on. But I think he will start to get more. And uh, uh, the 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 matchup from last year that always made sense was Strasburg and Lobatone. Um, so maybe you see him getting some some Strasburg starts here uh, at some point this year. But Strasburg seems to be doing pretty well with Ramos, so I don't know if that will change anytime soon. Uh, okay, so Beth Richardson asked about the max home runs. We talked about that. And then Michelle said, please answer it, which we did. Uh, <laughs> and then and then Fang asked, two weeks in a live show. I know. Next week, Fang. I'm sorry. And yeah, then, we're, we're – uh, real quick on that. We're working on a new way to stream your live shows. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's less taking... Google Hangoutsy and therefore uh, prone to dying. Yeah. So that's a thing that's happening. <laughs> and then... so sorry for the delay, but we're trying to 
do everything we can to make the experience better for all of us. Yes, we, and I will say once again, all made possible by our wonderful special ops members. It's given us the time and ability to, to take care of that. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, and we, we are working on a better solution, uh, that will give you better content with less technical headaches. Yes. As it were. Possibly even a central location where you can go and listen to all of our live shows. What? What? I know. Uh, so th- we've gone long. Shocking. Uh, as we've had a tendency to do these uh, this entire season. Uh, so You know anyway, what? I'm not going to apologize for it. Oh, yeah. I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying we've gone long. We, we always go long. It's good. Uh, yes, you do, Joe. Go on. That's what you said. Uh, anything else to add? Before we wrap uh, out this awesome week uh, of Nat's Talk on the Go. I just want to thank Jake Russell. Definitely. For coming on the show. It's a, it was a terrific interview. It was great talking baseball with him. I also want to thank Sam, I believe it's Offman. Yeah. Uh, of Triumph Books uh, for reaching out to us and getting us in contact with Jake um, so that we could bring this to you guys. Uh, some of the things we're trying to do this year, you know, we said we wanted to make the show bigger. We wanted to make it better. And this is just one of the few things that we were able to do um, for you guys because we want to bring you the best content you can find. Absolutely. Thanks to Jake. Thanks to Sam. uh, Thanks to all of you for listening uh, and putting up with the headaches uh, with the lack of live shows. But we're getting there. All will be revealed. Not revealed. All will be better. And it's awesome. Thank you to everyone listening. Thank you to Joe. You're wonderful. Hey, thanks to you too, Craig. And uh, on the, just the the final note, again, the book is the book that uh, we talked to Jake about is 100 Things Nationals Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, go to Jake's website that he mentioned in the interview. JakeRussellSports.com. There you go. Follow uh, him at underscore Jake Russell. Yes. And uh, no, thank- not Jack Russell. Not Jack Russell, as he said he's been confused with several times. Uh, So thanks for listening to this episode uh, of Nats Talk on the go, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Nats Talk on the go. For more information, check us out at natstalkonthego.com. To become a supporting member of the podcast, click on the special ops link at the top of the page, or head right to natstalkonthego.com slash special ops. You can contact the guys at Nats Talk on the Go on Twitter or send them an email at podcast at natstalkonthego.com. If you like what you heard, take a minute to review the podcast on iTunes and help us spread the word. See you next time. Let's go Nats!